It's Auto In with your hosts, Seth Kelly and Garrett Walder, with special guest, Harrison Witcher. In this episode, what's the difference between the producer and the engineer in charge? Who does the director get to boss around? And what crazy cereal does Garrett have for us this time? Without further ado, Auto In. Welcome back, everybody, to Auto In. Today, my name is Seth Kelly. It might be some other name later. I don't know. I don't. I literally made fun of my friend one time for saying that exact thing. So that's a lovely way to start the podcast. It all comes uh, full circle, Seth. <laughs> our other host today is named. Hello, I am Garrett Walder. You may remember me from episode. Oh no! Did just I lose just it? just check. No, hold the on. Number episode of episodes two. That he's episode in. four. Episode. <laughs> Six and seven. And this and now episode. this one. Yeah, eight. Episode Are we on episode nine. eight already? No, so episode all, eight. All but two. Uh, no. Uh, all wait. but three. Oh, I may have counted wrong. You're <laughs> I right. think I miscounted. No, did I lose it? No, I lost it. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, one of these days we're going to get, we're going to figure it out by the end of the podcast. Uh, in the meantime, our guest today is... Harrison. Hi. I haven't been on here before. Uh, I'm actually... Uh, usually I'm behind the boards. I'm doing what Kelly's doing today. Good old Seth. Yeah. Uh, however, today I am a guest and have the mic in front of me and I am talking more than usual. So this is going to be a lot of fun because I love to talk in general. Yeah. You talk more than, more than usual on a podcast. I just talk too much in general. So <laughs> this is perfect for me. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Uh, today, what we're going to be talking too much about is directing, producing, and being the engineer in charge. We're wow. going to try and fit all of those into one episode because they're pretty big jobs, but directing, I think there's the most to talk about, but we'll just get into it. Are volunteers assigned any of these jobs or is it just student workers? So usually it's predominantly student workers, but I have seen vol volunteers who get scheduled for these jobs usually later in the season. Uh, and that's actually what we as a department want is to put volunteers in those positions. Uh, even if they are totally unprepared because the best experience and the best way to learn in this, this job uh, is to be put on the hot seat, learn how to do it on the spot. That's actually how I learned to do most of the jobs in the department was not mm. because, oh, you know, I got to go watch a tutorial video. It's, okay, this person has left the department who knew the most about this subject. You're next up in line. Go figure it out. Uh, now, it's not that extreme for, you know, for volunteers. But, you know, kind of like I said, what we want is volunteers to be put in those uh, positions, right? Because student workers, our, our role is to be behind the scenes and make it the stuff that, you know, if something goes wrong. That's our job to fix. We don't expect volunteers to learn that, right? Because we want to put them in the the position to learn a skill set. Mm -hmm. um, and our job is to minimize failure uh, while doing that. So, yeah, it, it's not just student workers who get assigned the quote-unquote big jobs. Uh, a lot of times it it is the volunteers themselves. Yeah. So you said we like to minimize failure as they continue to, you know, learn to do all of these skills. In order to get there, though, people have to, I mean, this is volunteers and student workers, anybody who's assigned any job, they do have to fail a good bit before Absolutely. in order to learn the skills. And so putting them in a live production setting is a great opportunity for them to learn how to react to failure and not to, you know, 
hate on themselves for the rest of the production and just to be like, okay, well, that was a problem. Uh, here's the way to solve it. Okay, we solved it. Now let's, you know, we're at this point. Let's just, let's, let's make it the best production we can from here on out. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Most of my first times on any position so far have been absolute dumpster <laughs> fires. I usually <laughs> screw up horrendously in some way my first time that I'm put on there. And so that's why I'm always terrified whenever it's like, it shows up like, okay, Garrett, you're on replay. And I'm just like, Oh no, <laughs> I've never done that before. <laughs> right. But the next time you get on, you learn, you know, this is the mistake I made last time. Here's how I kind of fixed it, or I was told to fix it. And then next time you get on, you, you know, you know what to do. Yeah, exactly. More or less. I mean, I'll even say like, that can even apply to like running camera. Right, so the first time I ever run, I ran camera was for commencement. This was back when Greg Hollibaugh was here. Uh, I was like freshly hired. I was there maybe two weeks, and Greg said, "All right, you're running running camera." No idea what I was doing. I mean, I've done I've done like you know camcorders and stuff like that, but never like sure. a full blown like camera rig setup and all. And I remember I was like, "Greg's yelling at me. I don't know what I'm doing." Like, Greg, help me out. And mm. thankfully, we got through it. Uh, but from that point on, like, immediately, we had a, a soccer game, like, the next day. I think, like, my camera skill just improved so much over just one day of failure, right? I mm. mean, even the first time I directed, you know, I did uh, engineering and you know, being EIC uh, or, you know, TDing or whatever. The best advice I can give is welcome that failure. Uh, because that really is what makes you better. And that's true in everything uh, that you'll do in life. Any career you're in or what, uh, you can't stay perfect all the time. You shouldn't stay perfect all the time, right? Right. Uh, because you can't grow as an individual in what you do unless you fail uh, because you grow from those failures. Uh, so that that's my biggest advice is, you know, be okay with it. It stings. It definitely stings. I sure. hate being told I'm wrong. I hate it when Chris tells me I'm wrong. But that is, I think, single-handedly what helped me grow, uh, not only as an individual, but also in my in my skill set and in in my job and in my profession. Yeah. So we've given a lot of good advice about uh, directing and producing and and EIC. Um, we do want to establish what those are. So what does what are the jobs of a director and a producer and an EIC. We'll start with director. Director. So the director is the person who is, you almost want to say calling the shots. The director, if all is done correctly, should only be telling what the technical director to take uh, and occasionally what shots the camera should get. He or she shouldn't have to worry about, uh, you know, is, is shading right? Is audio right? That should all be taken care of. Uh, so it's really not, the director really isn't the captain. You think of the director as the communicator. Uh, and actually in the professional world, they're usually, I, I mean, I, I, I worked a, a gig with ESPN once. There were four people in a super small truck, production truck, uh, and myself. So there were a total of five. And the person who is, you know, directing was also technical directing, so taking all the cameras. So he, so that person was completely in charge of cameras, and then there was another person in charge of uh, audio, and that person was the engineer as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a completely different person was 
you know, solely in charge of replay because in the professional world, that really is so highly demanded. It's a highly demanding job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was uh, the producer uh, who communicated between all the different comms, uh, comm channels, uh, and also was doing graphics. So in the in the professional world, mm. uh, depending on the size of your production crew, uh, if it's a small crew, you're doing a lot of jobs at once, uh, which I think is great because we all we uh, we'll have events here, uh, broadcasts where we don't have a full crew, and we're like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Well, perfect opportunity to practice because you do two things at once. You have to multitask. Uh, so all that to say. The director is primarily the communicator uh, between the cameras and the technical director, at least in our uh, in our world. Um, yeah. And then next would be let's the do engineer in charge. Engineer in charge. Uh, <laughs> my favorite uh, adjective for the engineer in charge is the "oh crap, who do we call?" person. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. And I have the perception of oh my gosh, this person just sits on their their rear end. And doesn't do anything. They sit on their phone waiting. That is not the case. Mm. You are in the hot seat if something goes wrong. The engineer uh, has to have knowledge of all the systems put in place from uh, patching to Dante to all, you know, uh, everything that communicates to each other that eventually gets up to uh, the control room and then gets pushed out. The engineer... uh, has to be knowledgeable in all those areas uh and it's their responsibility to float around and and to fix and assist anything that's needed uh if you've worked a baseball game usually they'll float around and occasionally relieve you while you can eat a snack or something uh so that's the engineer in charge they are the person who fixes things and another good way to think about it is the director uh usually has more creative mindset uh while the engineer in charge is great at problem solving. Now you can have both. I have both. And I don't mean that in a bragging sense. I, well, you I made, I'm majoring in music. So I am predominantly creatively minded. Uh, mm. But being the engineer in charge and working here uh, has actually forced me to be able to uh, be, become a, a really good problem solver uh, within the department. So, yeah. So, so you're majoring in music right now. Yes, sir. Okay. So that's another good thing to bring up is that broadcasting, like working in broadcasting, this is a bit of a tangent, but working in broadcasting has very wide implications outside of just broadcasting sports. Like if you watch, you know, if you follow DBU sports and you see all the broadcasts, you may come to the conclusion that, well, I'm not broadcasting sports. So working, you know, volunteering for broadcast and things like that aren't, isn't going to give me any, you know, valuable skills for other areas. It certainly does. Like you'll need to know what an XLR cable is and how to run it in order to do any, you know, anything professional with music or, uh, you'll need to know audio mixing, um, even in, in live kind of capacities, especially if you're working with, you know, concert situations and things like that. Um, and it's also just good to, you know, creatively visualize in other aspects besides live production. Yeah, and even even like mixing uh, a live, you know, broadcast versus you're mixing in the studio trying to get a track ready. Those are that that's an entirely different podcast <laughs> for a different right. day. Uh, yeah. But you're right. Um, even in like today's world with COVID going on, you see not only sports being broadcasted, but what I've seen more than 
than anything else are all the bands that can't tour have been doing live stream concerts. And that has become a huge market for production teams. That's actually what's given most of them work. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, there's a band called All Time Low, and they recently did a digital tour where you would buy a ticket and they would send you like the tour shirt that you were supposed to get at the yeah. actual concert. And then oh. they were just live streaming their entire I, I did the, I did the same thing. There's a band called Under Oath, and they played through I think four or five of their albums. And oh, I mean, we cool. bought uh, no, it was three. It was their biggest three albums, and so it was like thirty dollars. And they had all this merch for it. It was cool, and it was one album a week, um, and it was on this huge like circle stage, and it it was a phenomenal production. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of bands started doing that. My band. Uh, actually explored doing that and I I was gonna head up that we just we just didn't have the funds or anything to get it going um, but all that being said like just because we're working in sports right now and you're not the biggest sports person that is totally cool but look at it and be like oh wow I am getting real like experience so that if I want to go into radio if I want to go into the you know music broadcasting you know I'm at a show and I'm doing you know live imaging on the walls or you know whatever it may be uh you're getting that experience and this can be used all the stuff you learn here can be used elsewhere in the real world so it's it's very valuable yeah also just any job that requires <clears throat> multitasking i mean you do a lot of multitasking in um in broadcast situations, especially if, you know, if you're one of the more knowledgeable people in terms of technology during a live broadcast and people don't know what to do, like maybe there are a lot of volunteers, um, you, you may have to direct while, you know, working out this technological issue. Um, today for video production, actually, at the time of this recording, it was today, like just a few hours ago, we were working on a live production assignment. And uh, we had one person, you know, scrunched up at a table right like in front of the cameras where it was zoomed in enough so you couldn't see it running like a teleprompter. And then she had to like crawl out and then <laughs> like be one of the talents. And then we had to, you know, coordinate that while I was running three cameras at once and, you know, being kind of the producer. So the the communication between the director and all the talent and we were, you know, we were running around all the time, um, except, of course, you know, when the B-roll was running and we just, like, didn't have a lot to do. I was just mm -hmm. kind of running around because I had to, but, well, because I didn't have to, but because I didn't know what else to do. And we were all just kind of sitting there awkwardly, like, uh... Yeah, that brings up a good point, now? too, that <laughs> even if your plan is to, like, be in front of the camera, right, it really helps to know stuff behind the camera because that yes. can even be an in, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you can both help on the actual stream and be talent there, but then behind it, you can then be working on stuff as well when you're not needed on the camera, right? Because like the amount of work that happens off screen is infinitely more than the amount of work that happens on screen, as in that's being filmed, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. all the setup, all the teardown, even all the stuff that happens as the, you know, as the recording is going. Yeah, all three are very good jobs to to kind of jump into. You do have to, I think, in order to direct or produce or EIC, like in order to do any of that, maybe maybe producer less than uh, director or EIC, 
you do have to have some experience in other roles. Like the first role that Chris gives a volunteer is often not directing because in order to direct the, you know, shader on what to do, you got to know how the CCU works or in order to work with the audio mixer, you got to know how the uh, X32 works or in order to work with the TD, you got to know how the TriCaster works. And this also goes for like the camera operators as well. You got to know how the cameras work. Yeah. And even be uh, knowledgeable about what sport or what event you're doing. So the biggest, another big uh, piece of advice I could give is before you, you, you know, run a position, run a camera, you know, be the director or whatever watch film on how, you know, things are done. What do you like? You know, mm-hmm. I, so I grew up watching baseball all the time. Um, so I, I knew in my mind, okay, I want, I want to see this. How can I get it? How can I get there? So a lot of the times I was, you know, stranded up there on camera three because I was the best at that job. And that was because I knew it's a look for. So as camera op, as a producer, you know, know what to look for on camera. You know, know your guy, know your, you know, the person you're supposed to be tracking uh, because that'll that'll make the job 10 times easier and you're not guessing. You, you can go up there and, and do that position with confidence because you know what to look for and you know what to get. You know what I'm going to do with confidence right now is going to do, Seth. Call a break. Whoa! Yeah, me and Garrett are gonna have some sort of like competition on like how bad <laughs> how good we can, can get. Trans- how good we can transition. or how good? Okay, I guess Linus. Depends- <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on how you're looking at it. Um, so we're gonna take a break, and when we get back, we're gonna talk about some unspoken rules, maybe some funny stories, and uh, we might do a handstand competition. I mean, anything can happen. I'm wow. eager for that. Yeah. Well, stay with us, and then we'll get to it. All right, we are back to auto in. Yeah, it gets our guests every time. It's like there's no music or anything over here. So it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to take a break. And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because whenever whenever I do my sports podcast, there's like no break in it. Like we we have a commercial at the very beginning and then it's just like an hour worth of like material and it's just talking, which... It's awesome. I love, we all love sports that much, but it definitely like, you're like, okay, this is kind of dragging on for a bit and the Uh, break, the break is appreciated. (laughs) I'm glad if only we had the music to like, to, to guide us and maybe have us like jam for a solid seven seconds. Put that in post. Yeah. Or I could like load up a hotkey. Oh, you really could. We could also get sound effects, Seth. We could. Uh, we've we've been we like building up sound some, uh, bites since like the first episode. I think Will's got like a, um, we're international, baby, like <laughs> oh. sound bite that he wants to nice. put into the hotkeys. I mean, of course, we need bro sound effect number two, though. <laughs> I think we have bro sound effect number one in here already, but that's <gasps> like that's good. Enough. You found it. You found bro sound effect number like, one. All right, so we're gonna get back to talking about directing, producing, and uh, EIC. So. Um, to answer the question, like who's the go-to person for director slash producer slash EIC, we, we, you know, there are some go-to people for other positions, director, like, like director specifically, everyone like needs to be put into that role. So, so, you know, we, we have just a lot of 
go-to people for directing. Just the go-to person for directing is anybody who hasn't directed yet. <laughs> yeah. Because we need to put them in that uh, position. But um, someone who used to be our go-to EIC was Kelly Borg. Kelly Borg. Um, and and Jason Linquist. Yes. They they knew what they were doing. And um, they knew a lot about like all sides of what they were doing. So um, if Chris wasn't available, uh, and often... It, we would know ahead of time if Chris wasn't available and we would just immediately call Kelly. And our go-to producer often for basketball was Selena Hope. Yep. And uh, she did a great job with that. One time she was like, she was gone for one game and I had to be producer. And it was like, Brendan and Reagan were like, who are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm nice. kidding. They were like, they were they were good with it. Who's Show must guy? go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who dis? Why, why does Selena have red hair now? What? You have red hair. Oh yeah! Selena oh, doesn't. I just caught uh, the joke. That was the joke. Yes. Ha 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 So unspoken rules about uh, about directing slash producing slash being engineer in charge. Oh gosh, uh, being able to like crisis manage and manage multiple things at once. So like with directing, <clears throat> multitasking is huge. Being mm-hmm. able to look at different. Uh, Different camera shots and graphics uh, on on your, uh, you know, the mixed feed is huge. So, like, I've got awful ADHD. My mind is bouncing off the walls. This Mm -hmm. is, like, the one place I can, like, really multitask. And it's awesome because I can pay attention Mm. to multiple things at once. But if I need to, I can zone in on one thing in particular. So, it's a great thing to have in the creative space. But for directing, like another big thing I can say, or just any position is like, don't be on your phone. And Chris says that all the time. And it's not so much like that you're not distracted by doing that. That's huge. But you're not going to learn. If you miss something, you're like, okay, what happened? I didn't see it happen. Um, and I know it's so tempting if you're like a like a director or a producer and there's just like nothing going on. You, you just whip out Twitter or something. Sure. I, I've definitely been guilty of that. Um, but like staying off that is so like crucial to your development, uh, as a person working in, in broadcast. So that's my biggest thing for that, for, for engineer in charge. My biggest thing is learn as much as you can and ask questions, questions. Oh my gosh. I've asked Chris and Kelly and Jason and, you know, anybody in the department who's ever worked here. I've asked questions, even if it was, you know, something that uh, felt stupid or like I've been I've been told this multiple times. It's like, can you can you repeat it for me? That would be super helpful. Uh, Ask questions and and learn, Uh, you know, get certified in in Dante, know how, uh, you know, networking works and, you know, the chain of. I uh, networks and how Dante inter- interworks with that. Learn how to patch fiber. Uh, you know, be knowledgeable in different areas. What else for producer? Same thing. Be knowledgeable in what you're producing. Uh, know what do I need to re- relay to the talent? Um, I need to be able to relay, <clears throat> you know, commercial breaks or whatever back up to control. Be able to count them, count them down, count them out, uh, whatever that may be. Your your job is to kind of speak over whatever is going on because you have to relay uh, information to to both parties. Um, 
so so a lot of that is is really just paying attention um and just honing in on what your task is and and executing as best you can right that's the way to get knowledgeable is to to you know be teachable to yeah. learn things i think one of one reason like for the first uh you know semester and even a good bit of the second semester of my job actually any time before covid um I, one of the reasons why I felt just like very incompetent at um, this job and was kind of discouraged a lot of the time was that I was expecting myself uh, to be more knowledgeable than teachable, to like already know everything that, you know, I'm supposed to know and also everything that I'm not necessarily supposed to know. And so whenever I couldn't troubleshoot something because I didn't know how to do it, um, I just got very discouraged because it was like, you know, you're already supposed to know this. You're already supposed to know this, even if I wasn't. So asking questions is huge. If you ask questions, then you will learn and then you will know uh, what to do. That's something I had to learn uh, when I, or just over the course of my job here uh, this semester, is that it's very rare that if you don't ask a question, you're going to learn. As in, you know, you'll be taught what you need to know in a given situation. But if you want to know further than that, usually no one's going to tell you unless you are actively pursuing that information, right? Right. Just kind of like with anything in life, right? Like, unless yeah. you ask questions, you're not going to get answers to what you want to know, right? Or it's very rare that you'll get answers to what you want to know. Being humble is also a huge thing in, in this uh, profession, uh, because if you're going to be stubborn and not listen to the people who are directing you, uh, man, you're, you're just not going to have a fun time. People aren't going to want to work with you and it'll cost you a job. Mm. Uh, and it'll, that, that means you won't get a phone call back, uh, right. for a gig. Um, so being humble and learning, even if you're stubborn and you know, you're hurt about it for a moment, like I am, and then you move on, you know, don't carry it with you. Use it as a, as a, as a point to grow that, that, that's huge. Something that can be either really fun about this job or really frustrating, depending on how you look at it. EIC, uh, specifically, but also for director and producer, you deal with a lot of different, um, different crises or different, um, you know, problems. And so that was something that, you know, astounded me when I first came in, um, there were a lot of different problems, but I thought, you know, there are only so many pieces of equipment that we can use. So surely there are only a certain number of problems that can that can go wrong. Um, and so it was just a matter of, OK, did you turn the camera on? Oh, yeah. OK, now turn the camera on. Now we're getting it and things like that. But then when the screen flickers and you're getting it kind of but not good enough for the broadcast, then it's like, what do you do? And then you you figure out like how different kinds of equipment can go wrong. So that's one thing that I think um, if you're in the right mindset is a fun thing about this job is that there aren't only I mean, technically speaking, like for all intents and purposes, there are only a certain number of things that can go wrong. But that list of things that can go wrong is huge. And so learning how to problem solve, like take you know, concepts from solving this one problem that you had earlier uh, and applying it to a completely new problem um, is just a cool kind of thing. You get to make connections and um, that's a that's a cool kind of role that you get to play uh, in being this 
this problem solver role that is uh, engineer in charge. And we're a team. Everyone helps each other out. And we all learn together. This, this you know, no man is an island in the broadcast uh, field. Everyone learns together. And uh, Chris will often, you know, show a lot of people, like like anybody that he can after a staff meeting or something, um, what went wrong in a certain broadcast so that as many people can know about that as possible so that as many people can be able to contribute to fixing it. Yeah, so that's director, producer, and EIC. Um, unfortunately, Harrison has to go at this point, but uh, we loved having you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, yes, bring me, thank you for coming. Bring me back on again where I can you know stay the whole time. Oh, yeah, that's the plan. We need to get you on on an installment of Garrett Graham's. Oh, which, please. Um, I've heard many a great thing. Yes, we had like an elf cereal last time that unfortunately yeah, I last couldn't. last recording we had elf cereal that for. was maple flavored and extremely sugary. Just like Ooh. really maple flavored. <laughs> Very, like you open the bag and the smell just hits you. And I mean, it was good if you like maple. <laughs> <laughs> if you really like maple. Hey, right, buddy. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having thanks for having you on. Thank, You're thank, welcome. Thanks, Garrett and myself for having Harrison on. Yeah. You're thank welcome, you for Seth. coming on the podcast to talk with us about directing, producing, and EIC. We're about to transition into like not talking about it at all and getting into like Garrett Graham's and Q and A and things like that. So if you're into that, stay tuned. If you're not, you can just shut this off. <laughs> Q transition music. Welcome back, everybody, to Auto In. We are back. Unfortunately, Harrison is not with us. It's just me and Garrett, but... It is just us this time. We're still going to have a rip-roaring fun time. We're not the worst people to have to spend time with, right? It's we're, only like 15 minutes. We're only the like the third worst. That's... Uh, yes. This week's Garrett Grams is the Mandalorian cereal. Wait, What? <laughs> I've actually been seeing this around at quite a few stores. You have? Yeah. I, well, at least the one store that I usually go to. It's been there for a while. So, like, I figure, you know, it's probably worth trying. Um, okay. Uh, like, when you did the elf cereal, like, I could kind of tell, like, what kind of thing that's supposed to be. I This is a complete, like, out of nowhere. Yeah. I, field. I don't know. I don't know what this is supposed to be. It says um, it's fruity cereal. Or fruity flavored sweetened cereal with marshmallows and other natural flavors. Other natural flavors. Yeah. I love how they tackle so that. So it's got kind of like a Lucky Charms vibe where the charms are like the child heads. And by the child, oh I mean gosh. the baby Yoda. Uh, and then like it looks like some kind of almost Cocoa Puffs looking cereal. I've seen one, no, two episodes of The Mandalorian. He's opening the box right now. Um, I've seen two episodes because I had never seen it before. And, you know, as, as of the time of this recording, actually, by the time hopefully the episode comes out, like the Mandalorian season two will be within a couple days of coming out. So, um, so I had some like. Oh, so it did good. It's topical. Yeah. So I had like a couple family friends who were just like, we need to, we need to catch you up on this because uh, season two is about to come out. But like, I don't have Disney Plus. So, um, so I wouldn't be able to watch it anyway. I would probably just watch through Phineas and Ferb if we're being honest. But after that, maybe get into The Mandalorian. Well, see, it's a good show. It had a lot more like actors that I recognized than I thought they would, like Taika Waititi and uh, Nick Nolte. And Taika Waititi was in 
The Mandalorian? Yeah. Wait, who do you play? I I do not remember. It might have been that like bot that was like oh, being all cool. Yeah, the IG whatever. Joe. Very possibly. I, I can't confirm that, but he definitely was in the like opening or closing credits, probably both of okay. the Mandalorian. It so he's one been, of the Did he not did he direct it maybe? I don't think so. Okay. He was listed as an actor. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, and so I was like, wow, that's that's also kind of out of left field because <laughs> yeah. I was expecting like to to um recognize nobody. Yeah. But then Nick Nolte came up and I was like, oh, well, I know that he's famous because one time I saw like a comedy sketch about him from like Kevin James. Oh, nice. <laughs> um but that's the only way I know him. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know Taika Waititi was in that, but I didn't recognize anyone else from that. It's a good series though. I've been wanting like, to see Jojo good. Rabbit. From oh, Taika Jojo Waititi. Rabbit's really good. I've heard I really good enjoyed that one. Um, it's very funny, and it has a really good message, too. Yeah. You know what else, else probably has a good message? And is probably good. The flavor of the cereal that I'm about to put into my mouth, unless you want to put your mouth into, I mean, your, the cereal into your I, mouth. I want you to put your mouth into your cereal first. Oh, I'm sorry. I just muted you because I thought you were... <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I mute myself, so... Oh, my bad. Okay, so he's he's putting his mouth in his cereal. More accurately, he's putting his cereal in his mouth. Um, he's given like some weird looks and and kind of um, oh uh oh. That is literally just Fruit Loops. Are you with serious? Marshmallows. It's literally just Fruit Loops with marshmallows. Wow. And barely any marshmallows at that. Okay. And they like barely look like the child. I'm gonna be honest. This this does have the blandest color scheme I've ever seen in a cereal. And I'm it talking really like does. chocolate cereals as well. <laughs> no, like the Hershey Kisses cereal we had. Were you there for that one? Yes, I, I was there for that one because okay. Caleb was the was there as well, I think. That's right. Yeah, we did do that episode. one with Caleb. Yeah, the Hershey Kisses cereal was much more interesting looking, I guess. It had like a unique kind of texture to the look of it. I mean, it had a unique texture eating it as well. Oh, Seth looks... How do you describe that face, Seth? This is Fruit Loops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it you. doesn't say it's Fruit Loops, but it's Fruit no, Loops. No, it's the exact same flavoring as Fruit Loops, so they must use the same like chemicals or whatever they put into Fruit Loops to make the same thing. It's like, instead of Loops, it's like Fruit Balls, you know? It's Fruit Orbs. And the marshmallows are hardly... You hardly taste them. Yeah, they they have no flavor, and they're just kind of there probably to break up the monotony of the tan. Who decided tan cereal was a good idea? Like, literally, it's just kind of like an off-yellow color. Like in anything other than Reese's Puffs. Yeah, exactly. It, well, it's like it's not even like Reese's Puffs yellow. It's just like when your vans are like four years old, vans the, the shoe, not a car. I mean, maybe a car, but like when you're like, Vans old schools have kind of been worn out. It's been like four years. They're kind of like, you're kind of on their deathbed. You're about ready to trade up to a new one. And they just have that like weird off yellow color to them. It kind of looks like that, not going to lie. I mean, it's good. I enjoy it. I like the taste. But like, I would just get Fruit Loops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably cheaper too, not going to lie, because it doesn't yeah. have the Mandalorian on it. All right, so we're going to get into Q&A now. Um, would you like to take the first question, Garrett? Nancy from Penang, Malaysia. She asks, should you halt for animals if it causes danger for the passengers in a car? 
should you haul for animals? One thing I think we need to establish is what kind of animals. Are we talking like... Also, we should establish what kind of danger, too, I think. Oh, okay. Because it is very conditional to, I guess, the type of animal, if you really want to get down to that, if you think some animals are more valuable than others. And then... Um, which is... that Do wasn't we even, dare say that? <laughs> that wasn't even a joke. That was legitimately like... For example, there's some... I forgot what they're called, but there's like vegan slash... Or vegan, sorry. I got made fun of the other day for calling them vegans, but oh, <laughs> I've never vegans heard that. slash vegetarian types that don't eat land creatures but will eat fish. Oh, pescatarians. Yes, but I presbyterians. <laughs> presbyterians. No, those, those are different people. <laughs> I don't know if that that's like a convictional thing or if it's just like some kind of health thing. I don't know. Cause I know fish is technically better for you than a lot of land creatures. But. Yeah. Vertebrates are the only people, uh, slash things that have feelings. So once you get into invertebrates, then oh, naturally. Uh, they don't actually, I have no idea. Actually, I think that it, there was like a scientific study done that like plants have feelings that when you cut them, they like cry inside. <laughs> I have actually heard that. I, if I remember correctly, the science behind it is more so that the plants seemingly reacted to pain in the sense of if you, you know, air quotes, because I don't know whether plants actually, plants don't have nervous systems, so we don't know if they actually can like feel pain necessarily. But um, if you were to quote unquote harm an, a plant, mm-hmm. it'll like move itself away from whatever's harming it or like Whoa. grow in a direction to avoid that. Oh, So like, for example, if you were to like consistently kind of like cut at a plant, it, it a lot of times they'll like learn to grow away from that. Well, that's interesting. Which is very interesting. Yeah. So I think that's what it means. But, but not that plants have feelings and you might make them cry. I they might. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they, <laughs> we, we can never know. We're not plants. It's uh, true. We just know that they grow away from, um, from things that they grow might away be from able knives to... and swords and uh, probably gunfire. Unless then again, I don't know how well a plant would I'm survive. I'm just thinking a like somebody just like pulling out an AR like on a potted <laughs> plant. Like, <laughs> take that. <laughs> Let's see you grow away from this one. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so. Like overkill. <laughs> but back to the question at hand. So, um, okay, that's actually a good point. So, the danger involved um, is this kind of danger as in like life threatening danger, or is this danger as in kind of like they might get whiplash or they might get like emotional stress over it? I would, danger, I think, might not be like certain death. Otherwise, it might be a bit more obvious to say that you like should n- not stop because like because people are like inherently more valuable than animals um but if it's like you know injury like kind of devastating injury then that kind of creates a bit of a gray area i would i would say in the case of like if somebody's going to like get their foot sore or something like stop <laughs> they can get over that but like if they're about to get paralyzed from like the neck down then yeah i'd say don't stop like for example i've given my mom whiplash before because mm-hmm. i have had to slam on the brakes for like 
a cat or a dog or a squirrel or something like that. You know, oh. Just in my neighborhood or whatever. Mm. Where I'm kind of driving, it suddenly jumps out on the road. I'm like, ah, and like, Arr! and then she's like, oh, Garrett, why'd you do that? And I'm like, because there's an animal. I mean, she she understood. But like, <laughs> I love like she has such a reaction like, Garrett, why would you do that? And you're like, because there's an animal. Be- because there's a dog. <laughs> um, inherently, like uh, just the answer is, you know, it's up to your own discretion. But inherently, I would argue that humans are more um, are more valuable than animals. And so um, if you were to like ruin a person's physical like like ruin a person's or rather decrease the person's um state of living yeah quality of life then i would say just don't stop yeah personally i'm kind of of a similar mindset in that if it's anything further than maybe a minor injury it's not worth it and and for Christians specifically, um, this is applied in the context. This verse in Matthew six is applied in the context of the father, like, um, like God providing for your needs, uh, saying that He even provides for the needs of the um, crows and the flowers. Um, and if He provides for their needs, then you know, since you are so much more valuable than them as a human how much more will he provide for your needs? Now, if you take that to a fundamental level, there's obviously support that humans are more um, are more valuable than animals in the world. I mean, uh, this is also like they they are made in God's image as as um, as supported in Genesis uh, Genesis either one or two. I forget. Whenever humans come in. Um, he, he, I mean, technically both, but I believe the specific wording of they were created in God's image comes in Genesis two. Yeah. Let us make man in our own image and our likeness. This is something that he did not say about, uh, animals just because he didn't make animals in, in his image. So, um, and, and yeah, the, his whole plan, um, revolved around the reconciliation of humans um, to, to God, um, through Jesus. And so, and it was not, it was not offered to animals. So, well, that's a great segue into our next question, um, from Corinne from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. She asks, what are some weird things about the U S and that's going to be more of a question for you, Seth. This is a good question to like, have me on the show for, uh, because I haven't like lived a lot in the U S but like the answer that everyone's going to give and I'll agree with them is you guys just drive on a weird side of the road in a weird seat of the car. Your like measurements of like feet are weird. Inches are weird. Um, you know, Celsius and Fahrenheit, for instance, for, um, a lot of my friends who have like assimilated from um, those other countries into the U.S. have gotten pretty comfortable with Fahrenheit. It took them a while, but it, they got pretty comfortable with it. I just never quite got comfortable with it. Like people will say like, um, man, it's a nice day out. It's like 56 degrees. And I'll be like, you're like, wait, the world's ending. Well, yeah, <laughs> I actually have been. So I have been. um I have been in a car that I believe was about 50 degrees Celsius. And oh my goodness. Hey Siri, what's 50 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit? 
50 degrees Celsius is 122 degrees Fahrenheit. 122 degrees Fahrenheit. How did you survive that? Uh, we didn't touch the seatbelts. Uh, we didn't That's put on the seatbelts uh, because actually we often, so in our car in uh, Sudan, we, so the, uh, in the back we had like, you, we could fit three people in there. The left seat had a seatbelt, the right seat had a seatbelt, but the middle seat didn't. Mm. And so we all loved the middle seat and we like <laughs> fought over it. I mean, I think there was even like a hump in it. Belt. Exactly. Well, it was just because we didn't have to put on the seatbelt. Oh. We were, you I know, see. boys. And so we were like, haha, adventure. Uh, look at me, I'm cool. Adventure equals. If we get in a car wreck, you know, I'm turning into a rocket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna be a, be, a, be a living projectile on the. <laughs> Well, that being said, um, I, I cannot think of a better segue into talking about what's going to happen next week. Yep. We've talked about like pretty much all of the roles, I think, at this point that you might be assigned to in, um, in broadcasting. So, you know, camera operating, directing, uh, shading, we've gone into, into all that. And so next week, we're going to be moving into what does a student worker do when um, they come into work. And we're going to be looking specifically at the roles of production assistants. So if you're not a senior producer, you're a production assistant and you get to do all kinds of um, all kinds of crazy rip roar and fun times stuffs like being a pack mule and um, and like carrying XLRs. Or rolling XLRs and watching people troubleshoot. Um, yes. No, you, you get to learn a lot from being <laughs> from being a uh, production assistant. So no, we're being gonna, a production assistant is definitely fun. Yeah, we're gonna pull a production assistant on uh, to this podcast. But pull, by pull, I mean like literally, we're dragging them through the door, yep. like against their will. So we do. Harrison earlier, he was actually tied to the chair. Yeah, so we're gonna get into that, and it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a party. It's it's gonna be a socially distanced party. Um, not virtual, but, but socially distanced and, and, uh, all the kinds of fun As all stuff. best parties are. I'm just, I'm, I, this, I've reached the end of my capacity to speak. <laughs> Sounds like a good time for an outro. Indeed. All right. Any last words before we get into the outro? The Mandalorian works better as a TV show than it does a serial. Yes. I, I'd have to agree. All right. Well, this has been Auto In, hosted by Seth Kelly and Garrett Walder with special guest Harrison Witcher, with music produced and performed by Jesse Liked and logo designed by John Brizino. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Auto out.